And welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is Aaron Percival, aka Corporal Hicks, and joining me as always, and well, I suppose a more theme-appropriate one for this one would be, and covering the six, is our regular co-host, Adam Zeller, aka Ridgetop. And Adam and I have pulled escort duty on this one, and we've got some member of the Wayland yutani board to escort <laughs> and make sure that the Predators don't kill him. It's Mr. Lee Byrne, aka Who the Fuck. Welcome back to the show, Lee. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. We were just talking off the air actually, and, and Lee hasn't been on since our review of Ultimate Prey, and it's because Colony War offended him so much <laughs> that he has not read the Alien and Predator books this year. Lee, was it really that bad? I That answers it. That answers yeah. it. That, whatever that noise was is enough to, to put across. It's the only Alien and Predator book. I've ever given up partway through. Oh, man. Yeah. And put him off finishing everything else that came out, well, starting everything else that came out this year. In my defence, I've really enjoyed rereading Incursion. So, you know, I did that. To be fair, it's also one you've read in the past. Yeah, well. <laughs> it, was a, it was a revisit. You can't you can't have that one. But yes, <laughs> we are starting the Rage War. We are reading, well, we have read. We're not reading live. We're not doing that. <laughs> Predator Incursion, which is book one of the aforementioned Rage War, which was released 2016? No, 2015. Yes, yeah, September of 2015, I think it was. Well, you know what? When when I was like, should we do the Rage War? Finally, boys, should we do it? Uh, I was like, all right, well, that's my next three years of December EVP sorted until Lee and I were like, you know what? We want to keep reading. We want to keep doing <laughs> it. So the next, we're going to be doing one a month, finishing off the series over the start of 2023 is what we're on. So I, I think that should probably give you a little a little indication of, of the enjoyment we had of this one. So Lee, do you want to start us off with a very brief how you felt of the book kind of thing, whether any opinions changed, you know, from, from your memories of it. And we'll we'll go around doing brief opinions. Adam will give us a summary for those people who might be listening to this who haven't actually read the book. And then we'll we'll dig into it. So take it away, Lee. I remembered really enjoying it when it came out. I was actually looking for an excuse to revisit this one. So I'm glad this came up. And yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it again. It's a strange one because it's got the sort of recognisable alien and predator elements in it, but it's also very different in sort of scope and style to any of the other books. It's sort of more space opera, which I really liked. You know, you can only read the same kind of tried and tested story so many times. So I really appreciated this one taking a different sort of slant on it. And Le Bon, you know, he's got a proven track record in the franchise. He'd written Out of the Shadows before this, which was... It was, you know, I enjoyed that. So yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I enjoyed all three and that opinion didn't really change upon rereading it. Okay, I'll go next. I'll let Adam finish up before he leads us off into the summary. So likely this was one I had memories of enjoying. You know, I remember it being a solid, solid read, but it's one I've not revisited since the first time. And it's one of those ones I had likewise been looking for an excuse to reread. And it was one of those ones where I was like, yeah, I'm also going to want to go straight onto the others. I know I am. And I don't actually like binge reading these days. I don't tend to do one after the other when it comes to a series, but I knew I was going to want to do it for this one. And again, it did prompt that reaction. So I still enjoy this book. 
very much so. It's not perfect. You know, there are things in there that wind me up, especially more so with some of the more nitpicky that we've sort of had to become Adam from some of the stuff we've done with the anthologies. So there's something in here that would have really set me off if um, I'd have been reading it for the first time now. Again, we'll dig into that. But yeah, the feel of it, like Lee mentioned, you know, this isn't a typical alien or predator book or EVP book. It is very much a grand space opera kind of thing. And it has a very different tone as well. I like to call it, it sounds stupid as hell, but I call it soft, hard sci-fi because it's not quite hard sci-fi, but there's elements of that kind of language and technicality in there. And it just gives it such a different feel and a different tone that it stands out so much from all the other books that had come before it and after it. It's still very different from a lot of what the rest of Titan is done. And I think that's it for the intro. I think that's it for my, my first thoughts. You know, good book. Some problems. We'll dig in. But the problems aren't enough to make me not enjoy this book. It is such a damn solid read. And as I was going through it, I was kind of like, it's a shame we haven't seen a bit more of Tim, actually, of Tim Levin. But Adam, how did you feel? Because this was finally your first time going through this. Yeah, you finally got me started on the Rage War trilogy. So it, like you guys, I enjoyed this. I thought it was good. I just looked at your old review, Aaron, and you gave it a 7.2. So you were still doing all the decimals at that point, I think. Trying to differentiate between all the books because all the books at that point were solid. You know, they were sevens, but some were still a little bit better than the others. Yeah, but, you know, I feel like I'm kind of on the same page. That's about a score I would give it. I really enjoyed Out of the Shadows. I had some issues with that as well, and I have some issues with this one too. But it was a solid read, and the most interesting aspect about it was, I was going to bring this up, but you two had both mentioned the term, space opera. This is the closest I've seen Alien vs. Predator come to being a space opera. This is in like distant future beyond resurrection, and, and that makes for a number of interesting elements. Humans using technology we haven't really seen them use before in the alien universe or far more advanced versions of things they had used before. So it was really interesting. This, I believe, was the first Predator novel from Titan, right? That's right. Which, if I was a Predator fan looking for a book to read, I would think this might be a bit strange because it opens with a xenomorph attack. I mean, this was right after the whole Fire and Stone life and death kind of crossover event. So this was a period where they were really blending into each other a bit. A bit more, they were doing very weird branding with the yeah. crossover. These should have all been AVP. You think it should have been branded as AVP, all three books? Yeah. I mean, this one definitely was more Predator focused. And I assume the next one being called Alien will be more Alien focused. And then we'll get the big battle between them with the third book. But yeah, I mean, it, it would have made more sense. I, I agree with you if, if this was just an AVP trilogy because if I had read if the last one I had read was South China Sea and I went into this expecting like oh here's a new Predator novel it would feel weird as that but it was still a really solid read another issue was the whole thing kind of felt like one big setup for the next two books at least you knew that it was part one yeah. of the story it going says right it. at the top Rage War book one so you know you're you're getting into a multi-book saga here but I liked a number of the characters. There were a lot of characters to keep track of in this. And, and the story was kind of all over the place, too. It would jump between different groups a lot. So sometimes it would be like, OK, we're back with this group. We're back with this other group. But it, it kind of
kind of lent to the grandiose scale of the book as well. So I think I'm, I'm right with you guys in terms of the kind of score I would give it. I enjoyed it. It's a solid read. It has its issues, and we'll get into that. But overall, I'm looking forward to the next ones. It did its job in that the setup was effective in me really wanting to know what happens next in book two and three. Do you want to give us a brief rundown? So I will do my best here (laughs) because, as I mentioned, there are a lot of things going on in this book. There are a number of character groups, and I don't think I can remember all of their names, but I'll do my best to give a quick summary of the events of the book. So again, this is in the distant future, like 200 years post-resurrection. We start off a bit before that, though. We start off... Which is a mistake. The, The prologue takes place before Resurrection. Oh, because you asked him about the date, I right? asked him about it, yeah. Okay. It, it takes place before Resurrection, but it's not supposed to be. It also takes place before Sea of Sorrows, and yet it's it specifically says that it follows on from Sea of Sorrows, so they've they've mixed, mixed yeah. the dates up a bit. So that, that was just a genuine mistake on Tim's part. But yeah, it's supposed to be post-Sea of Sorrows. So we start with an android woman, Lilia, who uh, we find out has caused a xenomorph outbreak on this vessel, which is like a xenomorph research ship. And she's gathering information for a group of humans called the Founders. And she wipes all the drives. So she only has the singular hard copy of all the research that's been done on the xenomorphs on the ship, which I guess it's implied these were xenomorphs that were collected after the events or, or during the events of Sea of Sorrows, right? That's right. She runs into two other humans who are trying to escape. They find a single escape pod and she has this internal dilemma of whether or not she should help them. But eventually one of the humans turns on them to try and get the escape pod for himself. But she kind of uses the situation to take him out and get the escape pod. And then she's there for like 40 years before the founders pick her up. And the founders, again, in this mysterious group of humans that explored the far reaches of space and went out way beyond where other humans had had gone before. And it had kind of changed them a little bit. Maybe not quite at this point, but eventually it would. They remind me of the Ring World. There was a like a book a book series that kind of mildly inspired Halo. But in like the very first book when you meet the main character, he's a guy that gets occasionally he gets so sick to death of people and humanity that he just gets in the spaceship, fucks off to the edge of the um, explored galaxy for a good few years just to spend some time on his own. And I've always been like, yeah, I feel that. I feel that. They kind of reminded me of that in this. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. It kind of reminded me of the Killzone series of video games because that was kind of a similar premise where you had a group of humans that had gone out, they had settled in a really hostile environment and it kind of changed them a bit where they were still mostly human but not human like they were before. And they got in a war with your more traditional human colonists. So it kind of reminded me of that aspect a bit, but the founders had become quite advanced in terms of they would eventually discover some alien worlds, integrate alien technology. That all comes later. So Lily escapes, is picked up many years later. And then we jump to, there's a colony and we're kind of going back and forth between the scientist and her friend. And he's taking her on these long drives in this rover vehicle from one part of the... You don't need to get that granular. Either. Okay, okay, fine. So she's a researcher who's really into Yatja. And they're called Yatja pretty much the entire book, except for I think the one time they're called Predators. So she, there's two bodies of predators that are recovered. Oh, and this was a, from a previous Marine skirmish where they had come in. There were predators on this this colony. The, the group was called the Expeditionaries, I think, where it's like these are the ones that yeah. kind of patrol the edges of the human sphere and fight off encounters with predators, which predator encounters are much more commonplace at this point in the timeline. 
So a lot of humanity knows what what predators are at this point, at least a lot of colonists. So she is a researcher who's researching these predator, these two predator bodies that were recently recovered from this previous encounter with another group of Marines that we're going to follow. And she has a communication with one of the 13, which is like one of the the 13 chairman of the board of of Weyland-Yutani, which is back at this point, which we kind of saw in Sea of Sorrows, where they had come back after becoming a defunct organization. And it's kind of interesting because once again, the colonial Marines are like under the thumb of Weyland-Yutani, which more recently they've had kind of a UACM arc where they haven't been. So that was kind of interesting. And in this, it was sort of explicitly spelled out that now they are very much Weyland-Yutani's sort of, you know, military force. Yeah, Weyland-Yutani is more powerful than it's ever been in this book, really. So we follow her and she eventually has a researcher companion that joins her at the request of, uh, or I guess just assignment of Marshall is the her contact within the 13. I guess he's in charge of like the science and bioweapons stuff. And we also follow a group of, of the expeditionaries that have been tracking this predator habitat, which is this massive predator spaceship, kind of like a clan ship or something like that. And they eventually attack this ship once a number of smaller predator craft come at it, which I thought was like, you guys are starting shit here that I don't know you could finish. So eventually they have to land on this massive predator habitat and they spend like literally weeks just surviving on this predator habitat. But they find out that it's been attacked by another group, which they find out are xenomorphs. But they make the discovery that these xenomorphs are branded and they're being controlled by another force. And they eventually find the spaceship of this other force and a synthetic there. And they discover that this synthetic, and this is kind of intertwined with some other plot points here. They find out this synthetic was um, like, what is human tech doing here? This is weird. How are humans controlling xenomorphs here? And the name as well, because it's explicitly human. Right. Yeah. And we also follow the android Lilia, and she is back with the founders at this point. She's become kind of disillusioned. This is another kind of android aspiring to be more human kind of storyline with her. Pinocchio. Yeah. And she, I guess there was kind of a coup within the founders, and their new leader wants to go back and attack humanity, where their previous one didn't. And she's pretty conflicted about that. And she feels kind of responsible because it was the research of the xenomorph she stole that allowed them to control the xenomorphs. And they had also found another alien planet, which I guess was from the Drukathi that were introduced in Out of the Shadows. And that had allowed them to have really advanced nanotech. And they were using like a signal to send out to activate, I kind of didn't quite understand this. They would like activate nanobots and It was people. like a sub- subliminal message that turned on seemingly genetically past nanobots, I think was... Oh wait, no, was it that way? It just it was weird. Yeah, it, it was weird. It, it, it was weird. But whatever it was, yeah, it brainwashed certain individuals in the the human sphere, as it's called, to carry out terrorist attacks. And we see some of these in scenes where these big colonies just get blown up by individuals that had heard this signal from the founders. And during this time, the predator attacks on human settlements on the outer edges of the sphere have been increasing. And there are some in the the military that are thinking that this is a predator invasion. But the researcher, what was the predator researcher's name again? Isa Pallant. Yeah, Isa Pallant. Okay. So she theorizes this is more like them running from something because they don't have like coordinated societies like we do and stuff like that. So she's been researching these two predator bodies and her base is attacked. She's coming back to it with a friend out from a rover excursion. They see someone who had been missing, looking all crazed. 
by the fuel tanks who had placed a bomb and the facility gets completely destroyed. Her friend gets killed, but the researcher she's been working with survives and another group of humans, they take shelter underneath the atmosphere processing towers, but eventually there's a radiation leak and they have to move into the storage containers. And then there's a group of predators there that are kind of like one of them's bloodthirsty, I guess. And the other one's more like these aren't humans that we need to worry about because again, she theorizes that these predators aren't here to to hunt them, that they've run from something. Eventually, she's able to communicate with one of the predators after an attack and after another one of them's killed using this like device she has. She builds, should we say. She, she builds over the course of the novel, a translator. At the same time, Marshall, this one of the 13, had sent another Marine unit to rescue her after I think they had gotten an SOS out. They had found like an old relay or something. And a lack of communication as well. Yeah. But yeah, most of this other expeditionary unit that's been holding out on this predator habitat has been killed at this point. Like one by one, it's just this long drawn out conflict and survival. So they also get a message out, but the Predator researcher sends out this galaxy-wide message without like authorization. It's essentially calling for a truce with the Predators because there's, they've recognized at this point that there's this external force that has been responsible for these human attacks on these facilities as well as attacks on the Predators. Also, Lilia has met up with a female Predator at this point. She gets picked up and tortured for a while, which is kind of odd because we haven't really seen predators torture before but at the end they kind of end up in an alliance i guess as well and then the book ends with this diplomatic meeting between a predator elder as well as um this researcher and marshall was really silly at this he was like oh you need to threaten him and and tell him we know where their home world is and we'll nuke their home world if they don't do as we say but she disobeys him and just essentially calls for a truce and mutual respect and the predator elder agrees to this which sets up they're going to face on this unknown force which they don't fully understand yet, except for the android Lilia, who is trying to return to the human sphere to warn them of what's coming with the rage, which they were called the founders and they've changed their name to the rage. So yeah, maybe just not the best <laughs> I tried in terms of getting through the synopsis of this book, but it's it's hard to kind of summarize because it is all over the place. And we were talking about this before we started recording here, Lee, you were saying this is one of the harder ones for you to write uh, entry on Xenopedia. Yeah, when I was doing the plot synopsis, because like you said, it's, it's sort of disparate groups of people in very different places doing very different things and it, it jumps backwards and forwards between them so it's, it's quite difficult to sort of write that into a sort of a continuous narrative because it's it jumps around so so from a summary point of view that may be difficult but from a reading point of view i actually really like the pace of the book and how it did shift uh, around the narratives because i would often i love it when a book will get i'll get to the end of a chapter and be like oh shit i need to find out and then it moves on to something different and then at the end of that chapter i'm like oh shit i need to find out what happens now and i found that happening a lot with predator incursion you know at the end of each chapter i was just ready to continue that storyline and th- but then get distracted by the next one i was just on the edge of my seat all the time especially when it came to the rage and the founders when i read it for the first time i was so fascinated with with the rage because for the first time ever uh, i suppose unless you count the predators in three world war but that yeah that was before this Uh, for the first time ever for humans they'd successfully controlled the aliens 
So as I was reading through it, I was just so keen to find out more about what had happened in the past of the of the rage and, and how this law came about and how they'd evolved from or devolved from this I won't say well-meaning founders, sure, because that that would be inaccurate. You know, they they were purposefully going out to escape influence of human laws and morality. I suppose. I think there was there was an element of persecution to it as well. I think. Yeah. Originally, they were considered like a um, well, not religious, I suppose, but you know, a kind of cultish in, in a way. But you know, they they very specifically did say things about you know not wanting that kind of influence on the kind of research they could do. But I never got the sense that it was malicious in their intensive research and stuff like that but then to see how they evolved from the founders to this absolute bloodthirsty sect with all this weird and wonderful technology i thought was really fascinating what did you guys think of the rage Yeah, it was interesting in the sense that they had gotten so far out into space and stumbled upon this advanced world that, as I said before, was probably Drew Cathy inhabited. Although we don't, we, we don't know Drew Cathy yet. I don't think they get named until one of the later books in this series. True, but you do see, like, they talk about a dog-like skull and yeah. they were always described as dog-like and out of the shadows. So it's it's implied. I'll be curious to see how that comes into play over the next books. But yeah, so that really advanced their technology in terms of medical tech as well. Some of them were able to stay alive for hundreds of years and they would be in these like gel sacks with robotic legs to move around. And it was just really weird and creepy how they kind of described the, the elders and they said they had a hard time with the gene pool because there had been so much inbreeding since the original founders had gone off into space. So very much like humans that had changed into almost another race. And again, that's a really interesting kind of concept, especially them coming back to wage war on traditional humanity. Like that's really what has my intention. And most of it is set up in this book. But once that conflict happens in the next book, I'm really curious to see how that pans out. How did you feel about the rage thing? You kind of already said it, really. I think it helps as well that, Adam, you kind of led with it in your summary, but a lot of this information you don't find out until quite late in the book. It's sort of interspersed little snippets of of info about them. And to start off with, you don't really have a clue who they are or what's going on, but you sort of learn as it goes on how they've gone from being this, as I said, persecuted sort of outcasts that have left, you know, to sort of for freedom then have have warped and twisted into this vengeful, you know, sort of murderous, single-minded plague coming back to, you know, reap vengeance on the people that they view as having um, driven them out in the first place. You know, it's it's, it's very interesting, the sort of hints of the political stuff going on within the rage that have led to this. And as Adam says, you've got things like the deformed, shit-born sort of youth that are because of the genetic inbreeding they you know they're sort of malformed and there's, there's a lot of very interesting stuff going on there i'm not sure how realistic that is after 200 years though i don't know if the gene pool would take quite that hit because i think that was yeah it's only about 200 years between them leaving and when the series yeah i'm not sure that a couple of hundred years is quite enough for that level of, of inbreeding but it was fascinating you know i got sort of mental images of the style from aliens havoc you know that that comic where it was all this sort of like grandiose human technology but it still kind of had this giga-esque kind of feel and that was the vibe and the the mental picture i had while reading incursion 
was that kind of, of melding of grandiose hotel cruise ship style look, but with a with a biomechanical blend. Because that, that was another thing that I, I don't know if I struggled with it as such, but, you know, there was a lot of mention of the, the way that the Drew Cathy, you know, the dog aliens are sort of described. It is a little space jockey-ish in, in the way that it's done. From, from a, a visual mental point of view, it's kind of, I mean, I personally was envisioning it kind of the same, but then you got to things like this creature that they'd found on on the Drukathi planet that would go around and sort of like grow new bits of biotechnology on their existing ships and sort of change the way the ships ran and functioned and, and the rage the founders did not understand what was happening. They were just like, just go for it, mate. Just do, do whatever you need. Didn't they say they found like a biomechanical worm or something that yeah. would like, they were like, oh, Okay, let it wander the ship. It seems to be like expanding things, and and but that yeah, was, that it was an interesting cool concept. Idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that comes into play in the later books, from what I remember, because I think it gets is it the phase Lee is what it's called in one of the later books. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that's an interesting idea, and I was really fascinated with all the bits that they were sort of learning about the Drew Cathy planet um, or structure, midnight they called it, and all these little details and stuff like that. But what about the idea of them actually controlling the alien? You know, because that's something we as alien fans, we do tend to get wound up over the way that they can be treated. You know, if they're disrespected and made too easy to deal with. But this is the first time I can think of that humanity or a faction of humanity has actually managed to successfully tame, you know, control the aliens in in the law. Did it work for you guys or was it, damn, they don't treat my aliens well? The setup works. I'd need to see how it plays out a bit more. But yeah, there's the interesting premise that Whaling Utani's always wanted the aliens for the bioweapon division, but sometimes it's been like, well, how are they going to use this thing? You know, how are they going to use the aliens as weapons? And that um, EU book, the Whaling Utani report, goes over like all these different applications they could potentially use the Xenomorphs for, and some of them are pretty out there. So it goes beyond just using them as weapons, but in this one, yeah, they are very much just like the Killer Clan used them in Three World War. They are used as weapons and sent to destroy here. Some alien fans might think like, well, that that lessens the threat of the Xenomorph to make them this subservient thing, you know. So I'll have to see how it ultimately plays out in the next book titled Alien Invasion. So I'll be curious to see how they're portrayed there. Any thoughts, Lee? Yeah, it's like normally the whole we want the alien to make them a weapon thing annoys me because it's silly. But but somehow in this sort of grand space opera book, it kind of works. And because um, just the whole setup of it, I love I love the idea of them having special android generals all named after famous historical generals. And they're the ones that somehow control the aliens and they're sort of sent into battle with their android general. It, it won me over like in a way that I probably wouldn't have expected it to. Like I said it, it just kind of the tone that the book has going on, it kind of works. And without wanting to spoil things that happen later, when you finally get to see them in action on a big scale, it's pretty awesome. Now, what I do think is underpowered and undertreated, though, was the Predators. I didn't feel like the Predators got their dues in this one. Don't get me wrong. The idea of them retreating from the aliens you know from it being that serious of a threat regrouping uh, regrouping sorry <laughs> should i say is 
was interesting. You know, it's that age-old story method of making your bad guys not the bad guys, shall we say. You know, they're there being a bigger bad to up the ante. You know, it's an age-old storytelling method. But it interested me. But then when we got to things like the humans fighting the aliens, and I know this is hundreds of years into the future where mankind has all this really fucking awesome technology. I, I really, I did really like the Clone and Marines of stuff in this book. The Marine rifle in this thing is Yeah, the calm, calm rifles, it's, yeah, right? it's like a, a multi-munition like it can just do everything and it's, yeah, it's like awesome. a judge dread gun like it's yeah, modes much, and like... yeah lawgiver lawmaker lawgiver yeah so i mean obviously mankind's so really well powered but i did think that the predators were done dirty a little bit in this one because they were just so easily taken out by a lot of the clone and marines like even this one excursionist ship was able to do a lot killed like what three or four predators? But i mean they they also like humans had cloaking tech at this point as well so i mean this is the 2600s humanity had kind of advanced a lot and so for me it was kind of interesting to see a more even fight between humans and, and predators you feel it was even though because i really felt like they underpowered the predators yeah they did they did kind of dominate the predators especially with how long they had survived on this habitat which was interesting the descriptions of the habitat is almost like a predator village in space like that was mostly deserted as well from the sounds of it so their actual yeah. contact in there you know you sort of forgive because it seemed like a little bit few and far between yeah. it's also kind of implied that the predators they do meet there are like the less well respected ones that have basically just been left behind like all the badasses they've cleared off to go and get stuck in whereas the the ones that are left behind are like the elderly and the young and the weak so i, I guess that kind of explained it but it was it's funny actually because the first time i read this i didn't really pick up on this but then having heard you aaron talk about this when i read it again i really did see it Again, it, did, it didn't spoil the book for me, but yeah, there is sort of a, a sense of they are a bit underpowered and, you know, you, you'd expect them to be a little more formidable in terms of, of the sort of, yeah, in, t- in terms of the sort of the small scale, like them running from the aliens, that kind of is justified in the book, but the, the sort of small scale conflicts with them, you do feel like they're a little, yeah, just, just a little, a little weak. I mean, I think Tim course corrects in the next, you know, the next two books. So I will say that because, you know, that was one of the criticisms I think I had of the book at the time. And and Tim did seem to take it on board and make the, the next, the predators in the next few actually seem a bit more, a bit more fearsome. If that is a worry you have, rest assured, it gets course corrected. I mean, just like aliens, portrayal of the predators can be a delicate thing, right? Especially when we're having interaction with them, if we're seeing anything from their perspective, that's when it can get especially tricky. A lot of authors have gone to the pitfall of the space samurai trope, as you don't like it, Aaron, but sometimes they feel a bit Klingonish as well, I guess. And in this one, they kind of did a bit much for me. There was, again, the scene where they're torturing Lilia with these, it's like a blade with all these bugs on it. And I'm like, really? That was kind of a moment where like, these, this doesn't feel very predator-ish right here. I did like the interaction at the end with the Elder. That was pretty cool to see, like a diplomatic meeting. Again, it, it kind of reminded me of Three World War in that regard. But yeah, the portrayal of the Predators, I think, could have been done a bit better in this, but it's nice to hear that it sounds like you say that was improved in the subsequent novels. I actually quite liked the torture. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I kind of liked that, because they, as far as they knew, she was just one of the rage. And I just got the impression they were so angry at what like just enraged by what had been done to them because she makes a point of saying that they don't even ask her any questions they're just torturing her for the sake of torturing her. and i just i took it to be like just them working out their anger over what has yeah. happened to them especially because the ship she arrives on as well you know is a rage ship yeah 
So as far as they know, yes, it, she is the rage. And it's interesting as well because, I mean, it kind of goes towards maybe that devaluing of the Predators in the narrative. But, you know, the rage were testing their effectiveness of the aliens on the Predators. And it's sort of implied as well that there might be other species out there that were also being used as like test deployments of, of the aliens. But it was the Predators that were taking the brunt of this from the rage. And I mean, I don't think it really devalues them. I just think it makes it really... It's an interesting concept, again, for it being that serious to push them out of their space, for the rage to be this seemingly effective at what they were doing. Because the aliens... In the AVP stories, the aliens never seem worthy of the reverence that the Predators apparently hold them in, you know, this ultimate prey kind of thing. But the impact that the rage in the aliens had at pushing the Predators out of their fucking space was a really, it was something I liked. You know, it, yeah. it was an element that I thought was, yes, finally, they're actually taking this seriously. And we're not just being told that they're awesome. They're, they're all doing something and, and making such a massive impact on the life of the Predators. Well, it was interesting, the misunderstanding, because the human military leaders were thinking that these were the predators finally invading, but the predator researcher, Isa, was more like, no, this this just is not like them. They're not conquerors, you know? So she had discovered that, yeah, they were fleeing this threat. And again, as you said, Aaron, the fact that the Rage were just testing this on the predators for the ultimate, like, they're going to use this in a battle against humanity. I do hope the subsequent novels go into why the new leader of the Rage is so angry at humanity because again the previous founder was not nearly as vengeful towards humanity so I hope it elaborates on on that a bit more but yeah I mean it goes to show that humans at this point in the timeline had really expanded all throughout this quadrant of the galaxy I guess the human sphere they call it Mm. it's interesting because it makes it sound like such a big region of space but they also emphasize how one percent of the galaxy or something yeah right but he still feels so massive, you know, there's things like the, the drop holes and the advancements in FTL technology. It's a really weird scope, really, when you think of it, because the book does feel so big in scope compared to all the other comics or, or books that we've had in the past. But then you, you do have still this little nugget of, yeah, but it's really only a tiny fraction of what's out there. So there's still this real nice maintaining of this air of mystery around everything that's going on. And like the di- you 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 were mentioning the difficulty in understanding what the predators were doing. I really liked the difficulty in communication that it was in this book. Adam's already said, and and this is sort of like one of my bugbears about the series. You know, they are called the Oucher in the book. In the prose, it is always the Oucher. You know, the humans call it them. There's an interesting bit later on where Isa uses the term to refer to a predator and the predator says we don't recognize this term yeah. like they don't call themselves that I, I thought that was a neat little touch because I kind of took that because I know that the, the whole Yautia thing the name is very divisive thing and I, I don't know if it is but I kind of took that scene as maybe Tim having a little dig at that like you know lots of people like it lots of people don't and I, I, I thought he was maybe sort of you know hinting at that it was nothing so meta shall we say, Lee. It was... Fair enough. Tim liked the name, was essentially it. And when I was reading it, you know, as I started turning those pages, initially, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, we've got this again. But... Like none of none of the culture of Steve Perry's predators are in this. It was simply a case of Tim Levin saw the name online and liked it and used it. 
it didn't really wind me up to the level that it does now in like things like uh, Rift War with uh, the Predators using human terminology and vice versa and stuff like that. But it had the potential to do it because as I was reading it, I was like, so this implies, so they the humans know that the Predators refer to themselves is this but then as the book progresses it becomes very much about the difficulty of communication mankind literally cannot speak their language it takes uh, lilia's robot vocal cords to she can manipulate them in such a way that she's able to speak the predator language which i loved by the way i thought that was brilliant and isa has to develop this translation device to be able to communicate with them and that was really interesting as well you know this sort of broken english broken language that they were communicating themselves with but then it just it it wind it still winds me up a little bit that mankind apparently makes up this name for the predators that is also the name of an interpretation of them from a different book and it's part of the no offense to yourself here Lee, it's part of this wikipedia research culture that i think's a bit bad because no tim no offense <laughs> Well, no, as the source of, of said uh, research. I didn't come up with the name, dude. I know. <laughs> you own the platform. You put effort into a platform of it. But I, I have a problem with authors just reading a quick skim read of an article on one of these wikis without fully understanding the context of everything that's in there. So Tim admits to never read reading any of Perry's books. He just thought the name was cool and ran with it. And that winds me up a little bit. And it's a problem I have with some of the newer books. Again, Rage, uh, not Rage War, Rift War. And, and it was some of the sort of criticisms I had during our work on the anthologies, Adam. Just because these words sound cool and you read them on a wiki page doesn't mean you need to include them in a book if you don't understand what you're doing. I mean, Yautja has kind of become standard in the EU, for better or worse. But not in the context that it's used here, though. It is literally a human-made-up word for the yeah, Predators. because I, I would... thought it was what the Predators called themselves in the original Perry novel. It is. Yeah, yeah, it is. So in this one, they don't recognize the term, so... Which is where my confusion came from, because it's like, though they've got to have communicated with the Predators at some point to understand this is how they refer to themselves. But that's not the case. And that's really my only major bugbear with the book, to be honest, is that... I mean, it's a little bit... Is it fan nitpicky? Because it is how they historically have, have called themselves but it's not in this yeah i mean i can yeah if you've read the older novels i mean there's always like these chunks of books that seem to interconnect more but if you've read the older novels and sometimes the newer books refer to the older books it can seem a bit odd when the context of a word like gotcha changes from something that the predators call themselves to something that the humans call them whereas in other books the humans just call them the predators you know so i i get you on that there was a lot of use of the term yacha in this book I was just like, whatever, I'll I'll roll with it, you know. But um, no, I, I see where you're coming from. It's just one of those little things that pulls me out of an experience. You know, we were talking off the air that I've not made it past the first 30 pages of Rift War because in the opening chapter of the book, you have the Predators using human scientific terminology and then using human nicknames and stuff. And it's one of those little elements of immersion that I find can really pull me out. But when it came to the Rage World, my first read through, I thought it was a part of it. So it didn't piss me off. <laughs> but I imagine it might do if I'd have been reading this for the first time now. It was interesting, the the human observations of, of Yacha culture as well, too, and the interactions with their tech, like the expeditionary unit that is stranded on this predator habitat has a plan to escape where they go into predator ships. And the pilot they have is like, there is no way I can fly this. I don't even know if we're on the flight deck or the engine room. 
But in hindsight, I know you hate it when I bring up the movie The Predator, Aaron, but I'm like, if this little kid can understand Predator tech, like 600 years in the future, come on. Like, And they had translator devices in that movie, too. So, yeah, there can be a bit of a disconnect with media moving forward when you see these concepts come in, especially in like the canon. The movie is canon. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just some don't like it. The movie hadn't come out yet when this was written. That's true. Yeah. So you could say the same thing with Alien prequels and a lot of the books, too, I guess. Well, you kind of have to. You know, you always have to reconcile that the books are second fiddle to to the movies. It's just it's just the way of the world, unfortunately. But I, I that's one of the things that I am able to put out my mind uh, when I'm reading these kind of kind of expanded universe stories. Yeah, I, I think I've long since stopped. Not caring, but I've long since stopped being bothered by inconsistencies like that because there's so many of them in the books that if you got hung up on them, you probably wouldn't enjoy like any of the books. So at a point, I just feel like take it for, you know, take the book as the book that I am reading and just, you know, if it references other stuff, cool. And if it contradicts some other stuff, well, Tim LeBond didn't write that other stuff. So, you know, yeah. you got you got to just kind of look past it. Yeah, that's a good way to go about it because it's just, we've gotten to a point where the stories in these franchises have just become so con polluted that there's no way it could all fit together so take what you like and discard what you don't i guess but yeah it's best to just take this as its own this trilogy is its own story and as that as an alien and predator set space opera it's really cool in that concept like i've never seen a space opera i guess kind of depiction of of alien versus predator and the setup in this really has me interested in, in what the next books will bring do you think it suits the franchise this sort of big grand style I've seen people sort of compare it to Mass Effect as if that's a negative thing. Yeah, so there were some interesting parallels with with Mass Effect, like the human tech using wormholes to to travel. It's kind of like the mass relays in Mass Effect, right? Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say this. That was one thing that did jump out at me when I read it. Probably because I think I read it around about the time I first played the games, and there is some quite obvious parallels. Like you said, you've got the drop holes of basically the mass relays, but even the rage themselves. Are very similar to the Reapers in the Mass Effect in that they're like, you know, this incredibly powerful destructive force that is way out beyond the edges of human space that is coming to bring war to humanity. You know, they, they, they fulfill the same kind of role. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, some people that will bother them, some people it won't. It didn't bother me. I noticed it, but it didn't harm my enjoyment of the book. Yeah, I mean, I like the Mass Effect games, so I, I thought it was a cool kind of uh, parallel I could I could draw to it. I don't know if I, like, I'd want my space opera presentation for Alien and Predator to be limited, I guess, but I'm excited for it here. Like, I mean, we've seen pieces of fan art, right, Aaron, where it's like huge battlefields with aliens and predators and you see some fans like oh man if we could only see that because everything feels like small little skirmishes and stuff so yeah having a a grander scale for things a more sci-fi opera kind of scale um it is fitting but it's fitting for being something different i don't think it should ever like be the standard for alien and predator right because we do like the the horror and the tension of the more intimate encounters i absolutely agree with that i i really enjoy it in these three books but I, I'm not sure I'd want to see it become more common. 
again, without spoiling anything for the later books, I would absolutely be up for a follow-up to the final book of this series, but it's not a style I would like to see become more common within the franchise. I do think it works, generally works best as a sort of smaller scale kind of thing. And this is so good because it stands out, because it is different. Yeah, I, I agree there. You know, I asked the question, but I, I agree with both of you. You know, Alien in particular is more of a claustrophobic series. You know, it is about those corridors. It is about those spaceship corridors and colony corridors and stuff like that to give it, I don't want to say smaller scope, but more intimate. You know, it increases the, the tension and the horror. But I did really enjoy the change in the scope and the tone of, of the books. I'm not familiar with Mass Effect, but I know it tends to use some elements of ancient history and other kind of sci-fi that I like, like Stargate, you know, like the Ringworld stuff. And I think it was refreshing. The Rage War came at a time when the Shadow Saga, as it is now called, you know, Titan's initial trilogy of alien books, it was a reset. It was not a reset as much as a spiritual reset, shall we say. Out of the Shadows was very much kind of an alien-ish kind of thing. And Sea of Sorrows was this bantam-feeling kind of aliens, exaggerated experience, but still within the confines of like the mine and these really cool alien tunnel tube things. And then Alien River of Pain was, of course, set on Hadley's Hope. You know, it was very much alien in tone, regardless of like some of the other issues with there. But when it came to this one, you know, it was so different to everything other than perhaps Three World War, other than Three World War in terms of tone and scope, that it did stick out for that purpose. And while I do really enjoy this trilogy, and again, without trying to spoil how it all goes down, the series does kind of, the world of the Rage War does kind of go back to a point of that, you know, that humanity struggling kind of era. So it was definitely something I liked. And while I, I don't mind the idea of bigger scale things, you know, like sort of like what we see in Phalanx, you know, that is big scale combat. And I, I certainly wouldn't mind the idea of seeing a big, huge Giga-esque world like I imagined Midnight to be in, in this book. But big, huge military space opera sci-fi, I think will be better as a treat. I think we've hit the point now where if they were to do something with a larger scope, I wouldn't be like, oh, no, we've already had that with the Rage War. I'd be like, oh, yes, we had that in the past with the Rage War. It'd be nice to revisit it. I think it's one of those ones that you've got to be careful with using and maintain it as that special treat. And Tim Levin did a couple of anthology stories that were part of this world, right? They were little prequels. Yeah, stories. they were prequels with uh, Snowdog. Coco Halley, the uh, Marine. So there's there's like one that references, I think it's about the fire sprites. I forget which of the Rage War references those creatures. Yeah, the, this this first one mentions that she's fought a predator before. And then the... We get that in the predator. Le bon short in uh, If It Bleeds was that. And then one of the later books, they're, they're in like a predator lab, I think, with these like preserved alien creatures. And she recognizes one of them. And the other prequel in the alien book was her on a mission where she encounters these things. Hmm. And then, of course, Tim's short in... Oh, my God. Eyes of the Demon. I'm struggling with names and words today. It was something entirely different and not related to the Rage War. But it's always interesting when you see those smaller little side stories in the anthologies, because if you enjoyed the bigger novels and, and you're looking at getting an anthology, you're like, oh, this has a little continuation or expansion of that story I liked in this book. So even if you're not really interested in any of the other stories, you might just get it because I want to see what the next part of Aliens Phalanx is going to be, you know, so it's a good draw. 
it's sometimes it's a selling point. You know, I own two of I think Brian Thomas Schmidt's general sci-fi anthologies because there's shorts in there from an author from his series. The Dune shorts, right? Well, there might be some in there, but it was it was the Lost Fleet shorts were the reason I brought these other two anthologies by Brian. But it gets you to buy them, it gets you to read the other shorts. You know, it's 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 a selling point. And I do like that it did offer the author's opportunity to do those kind of things. You know, Tim recently spoke on I think it was Twitter, you know, we were joking about who and and Tim was like, I've got an idea for if I get to do another alien anthology about doing something with Hoop. So I like that they offer that av- avenue. And for those who don't know, Hoop is a character from Tim's alien novel, Out of the Shadows, who was left adrift in space at the end one of the day, book. One day we'll see Hoop again. Because he was a good character and we liked him. So. I, I don't know if I want it to be about somebody coming across his corpse or somebody rescuing him. I haven't decided which way I want, <laughs> I want Tim to go yet. Well, as we've seen in this book, you know, he can be brought back from the dead multiple times. Well, I mean, she was a, a robot that survived 40 years on her own in space, but... No, I mean, the one of the founders died like three uh, times. Or not founders, the 13. I get the two confused. So the, the founders are the rage, or the yes. become the rage, and the 13 are the board heads of Waylon yutani What did we feel about... Because this is one of those points of contention as well, is how overt you become with Wayland yutani being the big bads and how much influence they have over the clone marines. You know, how did you feel about that in this? It was a bit like the control of the aliens thing for me. It was out of context. I'd probably think it was a bit daft, but it sort of just somehow worked in this story. And to be fair, I don't think Wayland yutani actually do anything particularly awful in this. Like they're after the xenomorph control tech for their own ends but unless i'm forgetting something there's no like they're not actually doing anything particularly horrendous you know they're not they are they have human humanity's interests at heart in the sense that they're trying to save us from the rage but you know there's definitely sort of hints that the old underhanded dirty company secrets are still very much going on yeah but again that was quite interesting that they're they're sort of there you don't trust them but they're not the villains in this they're a lot less clandestine than you're used to seeing them but i guess some of that you could attribute to they had become essentially a defunct organization until they had terraformed earth after the Ariga crashed into it if we're going by sea of sorrows right well it's all part of the same continuity yeah right like the Ariga crash into earth had damaged it or something and then Wayland yutani one favor back by terraforming earth but you're like why wasn't this just um, i don't know i always thought the return of Wayland yutani after resurrection was kind of weird it's like how does walmart play into all this like they should be <laughs> more powerful at this point so but in general how did you feel about Wayland yutani in the boat then it's interesting yeah they're not as villainous as we're used to seeing them in this they're just they've become the dominant human force essentially even the military generals like we're all company people now which in retrospect going from like the fire team elite story now of like corporate corruption is why the marines reformed and now they're just under the thumb of the corporation yet again it's kind of odd in retrospect but it was interesting as well in the context of this arc and this story it was interesting i'll be curious to see how it plays out but yeah that end bit with mark where he's like, oh, you need to threaten the predators so they feel like they're under our thumb. But Issa's like, no, I want to form an alliance here. The tension there, and, and there's someone else at the 13 that seems to respect her a bit more. Whereas Marshall, it's kind of hinted at that he's more sociopathic. So I'm curious to see how that's going to all play out. 
slightly off off center but you know one of the things that was i thought was interesting about wayland yutani in this was they had this access to real-time subspace communication and it was something preserved for them you know reserved for, for the very important people but the way that the book well, the way that Tim described it as being like you were seeing like ghosts of them as if it was like, you know, multiple timelines all kind of converging, I thought was really cool. And it was a very sort of horror feel to it that I thought was brilliant. Was that something any of you picked up on? Yeah, the descriptions for the subspace communication were interesting, how they were talking to people light years and light years away. It's something in Alien franchise we've been used to, like messages take a long time to reach each other in that universe. But at this point, human technology had just become so advanced that they could communicate instantaneously, but it wasn't perfect. And some of the descriptions of, like you said, like ghostly echoes were kind of eerie and cool. So characters, we've spent a lot of time talking about creatures and general overarching themes and feels and plots and blah 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 how about the characters so i wanted to ask you guys about this do you feel there's too many characters to follow in this book i don't remember struggling when i first read it i mean obviously this time i sort of went in knowing who they all were but i i don't remember you've got sort of really for a lot of book there's only sort of three you've got mains and his marines who are trapped on the the habitat you've got isa doing her uh your research and then you've got lilia who's with the the rage there are other characters in it but really it's sort of they're like the three key characters that most of the book follows so no i i, I don't think i really did i agree there are, i guess it you know it depends how many characters you can hold in your mind when you're reading a book you know your mileage may vary, but I, I I don't remember struggling with it. And again, it was one of the things I liked about it because you don't often see that in, in an Alien or Predator book. It's normally just about one small group of people, but this was about multiple groups, you know, in completely different parts of the universe. So yeah, I, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I, I didn't struggle with it. I have to agree. I'm terrible with names. I always have been. I'm in real in real life. I can know. I've known somebody for years, and I don't know their name. Uh, I just know that their position at work. And I didn't struggle in here. Because, again, their narrative roles and roles within the book are, are very distinct as well. So even if perhaps I might struggle with the names, I'd, I'd struggle. I wouldn't struggle with their function. And I didn't struggle to keep track of everybody in this. I think it only gets a little bit hazy when you have this additional group of Marines introduced towards the end of the Snow book. Snow Dogs group. Yes, exactly. Uh, but she, Haley Akiko, oh, I forgot a second name. Akoko, is it, isn't it? Akoko. You know, the Snow, the snow Dog, sorry is distinct enough from Johnny Means. What a silly name, by the way. Does anybody else think that? Yeah, there were some uncommon names in this book beyond just Means. Yeah, like Leader. I was like, what? Isa Pollan? Like, is this like 2,600 names or something? Like, But they, they are distinctly different enough in terms of personality that I'm like not struggling to keep track of them. So I don't think it was a negative in, in the book for me. It might get there. It may get there. The cast gets a lot bigger as the trilogy goes on. And once you hit book three, everybody's generally established and you're supposed to be able to remember everybody. So you might struggle later on as, as you get through the saga. But no, I didn't struggle. It, it just went towards that huge scope feeling that the series maintains throughout and in terms of the characters i actually really liked pretty much everybody yeah. you know i was i was interested when i say like i don't necessarily have to like them like them i have to be interested in them and all the main players i was generally really interested in yeah it wasn't like cold forge where they're all just distinctly assholes you know <laughs> to each other just in general 
I thought Issa's character was really interesting, especially the dynamic between her and her friend, her friend who is is killed got in his the head ex- blown off. explosion, tragically. But there was this sense of like, will they, won't they kind of like friendship might become no romance kind of thing. They established early on that um, he has the wrong genitalia, I think. Yeah, but she also had the inner monologue like, oh, he's he shouldn't be so sure of that. And when he's like drinking with her later, she's like, Oh, I kind of want to, you know, just have more drinks with him right now. So there's, there is kind of an internal dilemma of, I didn't get any sexual tension there. I just got good buddies. I thought there was a bit, but maybe it was just me. No, she was really interesting. We're, we're so used to having crazy mad scientists that are interested in the aliens that to have this obsessive, sure, character who is interested in the predators, but be a genuinely well-rounded person who who was interesting just as a person alone. You know, I thought she was great. And, and what she achieved throughout the book as well, in terms of like the translation device and, and the, the history of what she was able to piece together from the research. The whole thing about her discovering a bit of evidence from like stalingrad i was like oh that'd be such a fun story yes yeah i love that that was like that was you you get this quite a bit in predator books they'll sort of drop hints at other predator occurrences in the past but yeah Mm -hmm. stalingrad yes please if they ever do another you know predator short story book and tim lebon fancies that one i've had it yeah that'd be a cool idea it was weird like uh the other scientists on the planet that happened to be obsessed with predators as well svenlap who eventually became brainwashed and committed the terrorist attack but i was like wait there's two scientists now that are like really into the yatja like but but she had less of a role than i was expecting when it first introduced her i thought she had a different specialty she was interested sure but i think her specialty was something completely different mm. at least that's what i remember but yeah, I liked the the characters. I liked the expeditionary group, how it had kind of talked about them dealing with the loss of two of their own and the ship felt bigger. Everything like that and how it described it, you know, the space funeral that they had. It was a cool group to follow. And I know you guys know this, but I'll be interested to see if any of them survive after this one, given their current predicament. I think there's only two left at the moment of this group, or if maybe it, it just switches focus to uh, Snowdog's group after this. I thought the snow dog was a gamble in terms of being a main character when one of the first things you throw out about her is that she's a major drug addict and that's how the uh, marshal sort of has control over her. I thought that was a bit of a gamble because I don't think that's generally one of the typical ways of, of making one of your main characters likable. Is she still though? I thought it was in the past, wasn't it? I thought she'd still got the addiction to the, um, was it... Fate, not I was I was Frail. confused about that as well because you don't hear her. I don't remember a part where she was actively dosing or anything. I thought it was like a past thing. Yeah, I, the the impression I got is it was a pain. It's a painkiller, isn't it? It's like a it's like, yeah. like morphine's future morphine basically. And she did she get injured and she got addicted to it. She was in a small percent, I guess, of people that become like instantly addicted yeah, to this right, certain. Yeah pharmaceutical drug but yeah I, I definitely got the impression that it was a historical addiction and that she was passing now but maybe i just missed that what did we think of her though and, and the idea of intro- introducing these two main marines she doesn't do a whole lot in this book she's just kind of in the background for for a lot of it um she definitely becomes more of a lead character in the subsequent books but yeah in this she just kind of she rescues isa and then she's just kind of sort of behind isa for the rest of the book and doesn't really do much that's fair i don't think i've got anything else really to talk about with this one do you guys well 
we saw a social media post recently of Tim Levin with one of the producers of the audio dramas, right? So there has been some speculation of maybe the Rage War will be produced into audio dramas that we've been missing. Would you guys like to see that? Do you think this arc could make for a good audio drama series? I don't see why not. I think it might be difficult on Dirk Mags's part <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. with the scope and the amount of characters because that was something I actually struggled with in the Sea of Sorrows adaptation was the cast and the amount of characters in there. So that might be a struggle, but I think it'd be fun, fun as hell for him to do. Yeah, I've I've loved those audio dramas. I mean, I I didn't even I wasn't even particularly enamored with some of the books and scripts that they've adapted, but just the dramas themselves have been brilliant. So yeah, bring that one on. I'd love that. Yeah, I've been I've been missing those myself since the last one, which was the Alien Three adaptation. So hopefully, I would I think this could make for a good trilogy. I'd rather something original though. You know, yeah, don't get me wrong. I would I would take I would take an adaptation of the Rage War, but. I've I've already experienced it. I'd be very much more interested in a new take built from the ground up for the format because I think it's always a little bit less clunky. Hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting if they did the first one that wasn't an adaptation of a book and something that was like written for an audio drama format. That could also be interesting. Is that it then, gentlemen? Yeah, I guess we'll be doing this um, two more times, right? Yes. And we're all excited to keep going, I think is is pretty clear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I've been bugging you like since we read this. Like, can I start the next one yet? <laughs> <laughs> soon, Lee. Soon. But yeah, well, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. We all said about seven. Is that right? 7.2. 7.2. Cheeky <laughs> bastard. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe seven and a half. I don't know. Like I said, it was, it was, there are things wrong with it, but just the fact that it was so different when it came out, like that sort of gave it some bonus points for me because it was just it was a refreshing read so yeah i i, I really like this trilogy it's, it's sort of one of my i'd probably put it in sort of like top 10 of alien books as a as a complete package yeah do you guys have a favorite of all three? Oh, that's tough i i think of it as a complete package i'll be honest either the first or the third but i couldn't say until i've read them again hmm. you know what we forgot to mention this is the first time i get anything named after me in any of the official stuff <laughs> did we forget yeah you have yeah, a spaceship named named after you. Uh, i mean you know everyone everyone on it got horribly killed but you know this this is where so what tim Levin does is he names his characters in his ship after people that he knows so we're here going what a silly name is johnny mains or isa palin and it's probably somebody tim Levin <laughs> genuinely knows <laughs> And yeah, so that that's why I got a name in this. So some of them are quite obvious because their uh, Mains's ship is called the Osh after West. I'm, I apologise yeah, if I'm mispronouncing the name Western Osh. Yeah, the the author. And there's a couple of other authors' names that get slipped in there. But like you said, I assume that the ones we don't know are just his mates who we're slagging off for having weird names. <laughs> <laughs> So that that was very cool for me to experience. It, it's only it only warrants one single mention in the end of this book. Was this the first time you had had your name in a book? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sure that was cool. Yeah, you've racked up a few since then because you're in the RPG, you're in Into Charybdis, and then this one, mm-hmm. right? Oh, and you're in Eyes of the Demon. Am I in there? Yeah, you're the helicopter pilot. Okay, I, I thought it was removed from that. Uh-uh. You're you're like your dynasty is going to rival Ripley's before long. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. The the ship was named after the Marine from Into Charybdis, who was a relation of the Colonel from the RPG. The fact that you've thought this through. (laughs) (laughs) What is my place in the alien universe? 
And then Adam's there just messaging me going, I will get a ship named after you. I will get a ship. You and Clara both have ships. I will get a spaceship one day. (laughs) Funny. Okay, then, gents, shall we uh, start to wrap this one up? I was going to sort of angle us towards this is the last episode of 2022. You know, how do we feel about this year kind of thing? But Lee's been put off the books that much and doesn't read comics. But to be fair, Prey came out and that was awesome. Fucking brilliant, I think yeah. is the word you're it's looking for. It's a big for. predator year, yeah. So I'll be very curious to see if next year's a big alien year because we have two video games, production ramping up with the new movie and hopefully the series as well. Well, we should have Fedes, I think. When is the series due out? It was supposed to be filming already. It'll probably be filming in the spring or summer now of next year. Okay. So I would imagine we'll get the series in 2024. But there's a good chance we get Fede's movie before the end of next year, which would be really cool. be really cool if it's as good as Prey turns out to be. Yeah. Turned out to be. <laughs> it was a good year for the franchises, man. I think you said it best, Aaron, that um, Prey really saved the Predator franchise. You know, we have Dan Trachtenberg and, and co to thank for that because it really needed it after the last one. <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see what comes moving forward. And while I may not have finished the the final version of Eyes of the Demon, you know, I've, I'm about a good halfway through that. The stories in that have been really good. I think there's probably only been like one that I haven't enjoyed as much halfway through. How does it compare to If It Bleeds? Because If It Bleeds was awesome. I don't think any of them will ever come up to If It Bleeds standard, I'll be honest. Yeah, you gave that a 10 out of 10. Yeah. The, the one that I genuinely didn't really think worked very well in the first half of Eyes is enough to pull it down. Yeah, okay from you know being a 10 out of 10 kind of thing but it's it's been really good there's been some really solid stuff uh, i do recommend you know getting to that one lee and finding the enthusiasm to to go through it you just want me to read about percival the helicopter pilot look i forgot about <laughs> percival the helicopter pilot i thought that had been removed i'm fairly sure i said we probably need to stop doing this <laughs> 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 give, me, give me real money, not not characters named after me. I can't afford heating. Come on, guys. I'm, I'm living in an energy crisis Britain. I think the Marvel stuff's still a little up in the air at the minute. You know, obviously both have taken... Well, Predator started this year, and, and it was, visually speaking, significantly better than how Alien started. But I think a lot of people are still kind of iffy on the story. I imagine we'll be doing that episode. Yeah. So those January will be some of February? our episodes in the first part of next year i think is the um, the alien reset and the the first predator arc but also continuing this you know we'll be reading alien invasion and alien versus predator armageddon as well and i always like these podcasts where we go back and go through the books that we haven't done a podcast on because there are actually quite a few books now in the franchises and a number of them we haven't gone over on on the podcast so um I just because we haven't had an AVP novel in a long time, I'm sure I will still read Rift War. So many wars, as you say, can't keep track of them all. We can do an episode on it. I'll so yeah, through yeah, it. get through that, and I'll get through it, and so that'll that'll make for another interesting. Well, but in terms of quality, I guess was more what I was getting on at there. You know, Prey was brilliant, and Eyes of the Demon has been strong so far. But quality wise, the Marvel stuff's been a little iffy on both on both yeah. sides. And and Alien, I think, had a bit of a tragic year. You know, actually, is that Fire fair Team, to say? Fireteam Elite got some updates, and we've still been occupied with that. 
So. I think Colony Wars just left such a bad taste in my mouth that I just think... Yeah, there was still good. Inferno's Fall. That was good. Which was why I was like, maybe that's a little unfair to say, because yes, Inferno's was good. Ultimate Prey was was good. You know, there was only two books, two shorts in there that collectively us three didn't like. And of course, we got the memoir from Ander Monson for Predator as well, which was different. And I think Becoming Alien came out this year, which is it's not something we've really talked about on the show. That's more been... Um, the perfect organisms jam this year in terms of professional critical analysts kind of alien books but i think that came out this year so it has been a very busy year in terms of releases yeah. which is always fun i don't i think we've struggled to keep up yeah i'm, I'm gonna claim that's partly why i'm so behind with the books because it's not <laughs> like I've, it's not that i've stopped reading the books for ages it's just so many of them have come out this year that, that you know the pile to read has uh, has grown really quickly and we will say we have heard there are more alien books on the way from titan so that'll good. be a good thing yes because we normally rely on the books to spoil the next ones you know in, in the also available from titan kind of section and we've not really been getting that in terms of announcing new alien books but yeah they are still working on them we've, we've got Enemy of My Enemy is coming up, isn't it? Yes, that's the only other alien book that we know it's of. Been announced, yeah. Which is the conclusion of the RPG trilogy, I guess. Not that they've really had an overarching narrative, but they, they were announced as like a trilogy of books. Loosely were... interconnected, yeah. Yeah, and that's the last alien book that we are aware of. Anything else, guys? Any comments or well wishes for Christmas, holidays, New Year? Because this will be our last of the year. Well, I hope everyone listening has a happy holidays. You know. have, a, have a good Christmas and a, and a good new year, whatever you're up to, wherever you are. Get some good Alien and Predator swag, of course. There are lots of books available if you have yet to uh, get them all. So uh, go and add those to the Christmas list. Just on the remote chance that anyone I actually know is watching this, I got uh, Rinsler's Making of Aliens book for my birthday. So if anyone would like me to, to get me his alien book <laughs> for Christmas, I would appreciate that. You know, that's that's one of the ones where I just kind of want to give you a clip around the ear for taking so long to get that. I know. I You run a goddamn wiki, Lee. <laughs> You're ribbing me about being behind on the alien books, but that is entirely fair. I should have bought Rinsler's books before now. I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into them, and I will never get over the fact that he didn't get to do Alien 3. Mm-hmm. It is a literal crime against movie history and alien fandom that Fox didn't get him working Because yeah, he wanted to. Yes. They weren't interested. Oh, don't yeah. tell me that. I didn't know that. Yeah, Fox weren't interested, and unfortunately he, he passed away this year. That really shocked me. Actually, I didn't realize he was unwell. I think it. I think it took a real turn towards the end. But when did Aliens come out? No, it was last. Was it last year? I think it was last year. Last year, I think. Yeah, maybe a bit belayed on that one. But go read the Rinsler making of Alien and Aliens. They are phenomenally detailed, and the guy had access to the vaults. And there's stuff in those books that is not generally well known because those scripts aren't available to everybody else. They're not stuff that get talked about a lot. You know, the Red City stuff from Alien, it lays out like the timeline really well as well. And um, stuff from Cameron's first draft of Aliens. You know, I never knew that he half wrote a script that got abandoned after the scriptment. You know, I didn't know that until this book. So they've been really interesting with lots of bits and pieces that we never know. And I'm going to go off on a waffle of all the cool bits of, of those books now, but... You know, one of the things I actually really loved was there's everybody knows that trivia that Cameron spent his own money on the laser scanner at the start of Aliens. 
he wanted to do it. Galen had told him, no, we ain't got the money for this. If you want it that much, you go do it. You go buy it yourself. Dude got reimbursed. It's in the making of Aliens book. He does not deserve that brag because he got that money back. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to spoil the making of Aliens for you, Lee. That's all right. It's a pretty thick book. I'm sure there's plenty in there to keep me occupied. There will be. But yeah. I hope everybody has a good holidays. I hope everybody's enjoyed the content that we've put out this year. If you do listen to us, if you do watch us, especially if you listen to us, actually, you know, please do leave reviews on iTunes and on Spotify and on Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this podcast from. Please do go and leave us reviews because it helps our visibility on those platforms. And we do read them. You know, we do take into consideration what's said on them. You know, you are all welcome to email us at podcast.avpgalaxy.net as well. We love hearing from everybody out there. It's nice to know that the effort that goes into these things isn't wasted and that there are people enjoying them. So please do. Do us a favor. Just just help us out in that in that way by leaving reviews. And I do thank everybody who has been listening. Adam, thank you for sticking with me this year, as always, you know. I don't know if anybody can keep up with you, Aaron, when it comes to this stuff. You are an absolute nightmare in terms of keeping on top of you like that. But I do appreciate everything you do with me, brother. So thank you. And uh, here's to 2023 and seeing what else we can pull out our asses for everybody out there. I think it'll be a good year. I got a good feeling about it. Oh, Lee, before we go, do you want to do you want to pimp out the wiki in that oh so unenthusiastic style that you always do? <laughs> I really hate like bigging myself up. It's one of my flaws and I really I really don't like doing it. But anyway, yes, okay. I'll try and sound very effusive and positive. <laughs> Xenopedia, avp.fandom.com. Come along, join in, contribute, read, peruse, browse, whatever you like. It'd be good to see you there. So if you'd like to check out our forums, we still have those old school message boards over on our website, avpgalaxy.net. We still like that format. So we're there if you want to chat with us and fellow fans. But we're also on all the major social channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. If you search AVP Galaxy or Alien vs. Predator Galaxy, you're sure to find us. If you'd like to follow me personally, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Ridgetop21. And I'm on Twitter at underscore Corporal Hicks. And I'll be posting my swag on there so uh, you can see why I've had over Christmas on Twitter. Got up that Instagram game, Aaron. Oh, I can't be bothered with Instagram. I haven't used it in <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> I've got an account, but I don't use it. But yes, thank you everybody out there for listening or watching. This has been Corporal Hicks. Bridgetop. And who the fuck am I? Getting to the chopper. Even though this is an AVP themed one, but it's a Predator book. So it's Are there any choppers the chopper. in this book though? No, space but choppers. Just, sure. You know, the, the spaceships, they can be space choppers. <laughs> Thank you and goodbye.